Hello, I'm Regina Botras and this is Backstage, where we talk with the who's who on stage, in dance, comedy and performing arts, speaking with the leading theatre makers of our times and how they came to the stage and what drives them and inspires them. And my guest in this podcast is S. Shakti Diharan, who is the writer and director or co-writer, co-director, I suppose, with Eamon Flack on the production The Jungle and the Sea, which is playing at Belvoir Theatre at the moment. It's a companion piece to the multi-award winning Counting and Cracking a few years ago. And this is set during the Sri Lankan Civil War. And the story, as far as I understand, is taken um from your mother initially who is also performing in this production it's an absolutely beautiful production which I mentioned in last week's show but before we get into the background of the story and how this sort of happened welcome Shakti Ah, thank you great to be here thanks for coming on so you are a man of many many talents um strings in your bow so to speak and I know Obviously, I mentioned your mother is in this production as well and is a dancer and the head of a school. But tell me what life was like growing up for you. It sounds like a creative household. Where did you grow up and what was it like? Um, I was born in Sri Lanka, but I've been in Sydney since I was three. So very much grew up in Australia. My mum's a Bharatanatyam dancer and she, when my parents got divorced, she turned to the only thing she knew really in terms of um, a work income, which was her dance. She's been dancing since she was five or six years old. And she started a dance company here called Ngalium Dance Company. Um, and I'm an only child, so I kind of grew up inside that company. And, you know, she would teach in the garage or in, in a current home in a little dance studio here. And, yeah, grew up backstage of her shows and um, meeting all the various artists from Asia who'd be part of the productions and very immersed in the traditions of Tamil culture, um, but not not very immersed in the stories of Sri Lanka, which she kind of kept a fairly tight lid on. I see. So were you in some of those productions that she put on? Like, did you, you grow up dancing as well? I walked on stage once as a monk, but no, I wasn't in them. Uh, I compared them a lot. I would do the introductions for the pieces and did graphic design for the leaflets and helped write grant applications when I got older and, you know, oh, yeah. was essentially free labor wherever possible. <laughs> <laughs> So what what is the sort of, can you describe the kind of dance we're talking about? Yeah, Bharatanatyam is one of the seven classical dance forms of India. Its home is in South India and it, it's wide, widely performed in Tamil Nadu and Tamil Sri Lankans obviously have a strong connection to that community. We have the same language and traditional art forms um, and it's, has two major components. One is jadis, which is kind of pure rhythm, energetic footwork, and Carnatic music, which accompanies Bharatanatyam, is kind of some of the most rhythmically complex music in existence. Um, and then it has Abhinaya, which we use quite a lot in The Jungle and the Sea, which is, the best English word for it is mime, but it's a kind of... Um, way to access deep emotion through 
slow movement gestures. Mm. Yeah, because you get that sense of it. There's so much more than just that movement going on because it sort of opens the the production or the play. So you say, I mean, as far as I as I said, I didn't realize until I read later about the influence of your mother and the the way that this story came about. And it was what I understand is when you were writing Counting, I mean, when you were working on Counting and Cracking, is that right? And you did, yeah, you obviously didn't grow up knowing a lot of the background to your story, your mum's past. Mm, Yes, Counting and Cracking was a very personal show for me. It was, my mum had never talked about Sri Lanka growing up and I, kind of went back to Sri Lanka against her wishes and I still have family there and talked to other family around the world and loads of Sri Lankans around the world and started putting um, the pieces together of what happened in Sri Lanka and from a kind of community viewpoint, kind of people's history and um, learnt from my uncle in Colombo that he gave me a shoebox full of letters one afternoon and inside were my great letters from my great-grandfather to his grandchildren, and I kind of learned that my great-grandfather was born a farmer, became a politician via going to Oxford University and was the only Tamil politician in the first post-independence cabinet in Sri Lanka. And his life story was one that went from being a champion for equality and unification in Sri Lanka to being a kind of political realist on his deathbed and giving up on the government, being willing to protect or keep its citizens safe, its minority citizens. And the arc of his life felt like the arc of my community story and this kind of family history that had been hidden from me was a way for me to simultaneously tell a family story and a country story at the same time. And so that became Counting and Cracking and the early drafts of it I sent to my mum and it slowly started to open her up and um, when we started the development workshops for Belvoir, she actually came along and started talking about Sri Lanka because strangers would ask her questions and it was much harder for her to ignore. So she started talking about Sri Lanka for the first time in her life and much of her response to the early drafts of the play is in the final draft of the play because her opening up allowed me to kind of complete the play in a way. And um, she dealt with the the trauma of having to leave Sri Lanka, you know, during a a week of pretty gruesome riots by by burying that pain and trying not to ever go back to it again. And so the play kind of healed her relationship with her homeland, which which led to the possibility of her being more involved for the next one. And when Eamon and I were developing to the jungle and the sea, we knew there was a character in the show that um, was an older woman who didn't say much but was almost always on stage and had some incredibly potentially powerful scenes but also difficult scenes to pull off and it really suited someone who who had training as a dancer because really the way that person holds their body and commands presence on stage is is crucial to that role and so Eamon suggested my mum and I'd been thinking about her obviously but and we kind of agreed that he should direct her <laughs> um, if we did it. And um, she was really taken aback when we asked her, but uh, she said yes. And um, it's been a really challenging experience for her, but um, really quite successful, really. She's stepped up to the challenge wonderfully. 
Absolutely. It must have been such a thing for her to see counting and cracking on stage. Do you remember those moments? The act of putting on counting and cracking, I think, was an act of public vulnerability. And with a lot of minority communities, that act actually never happens. We um, wage our full selves, the lives of our full selves inside our communities, you know, our family or close friends. And um, we tend to assimilate a little bit in public life. And I think the act of putting on counting and cracking, this, I think this is true for the broader Sri Lankan community, but obviously also for my family, was an act of showing our story in all its complexity, you know, warts and all. And um, initially would have been very confronting for her, but I think was so healing because it's an act of belonging, really. It's a, it's a way of solidifying belonging to Australia by having that story shared on a, on a, in such a mainstream way and embraced by so many people. Yeah, I've never been so vulnerable for so long, and I'm sure she hasn't either. So it's not something you want to do all the time. Um, but it's an incredibly positive experience to happen once or twice in your life. <laughs> well, it is because... Yeah, uh, the healing only comes because it's so traumatic underneath. Now, we've jumped in to start talking about this without really, for anyone that's listening, giving them an idea of what that story is. Do you mind sort of setting the scene? Yeah, Jungle of the Sea is a story of a big family. My mum and my dad with four kids who live in the north of Sri Lanka. They're living inside the war but making it work and an event happens um, as part of the war which forces that fa- everyone in that family to forever change how they think about their little village in Sri Lanka and their role there. And each child and each parent thinks about it differently. And um, thereafter the family splits between Sri Lanka and Australia and the son, the only son in the family, leaves that family as well. And the mother makes a promise to not leave Sri Lanka until she manages to get all her children in one place again. And over the course of the war, we, we kind of, that's in 1995 in Sri Lanka, and we jumped to 2009 to the end of the war. Uh, more members of her family go missing, and it's not until 2022, the present day, till she finally is able to reunite with her children. And um, the story of that family is also the story of um, so many Tamil Sri Lankans who lived through the war. Um, and on the one hand, the show is about the fact that life goes on, even amidst war, and we still find ways to be foolish and silly and fall in love and have fun and find courage and determination. And on the other hand, the show is about loss and a path to justice and ways of dealing with loss and um ways for families to come together through that. In the writing of this, you said that you've contacted a lot of other people in this sort of story. How was that for you to to kind of, I don't know, to, to go into that past? Um, it must have been quite challenging. It's a double-edged sword, I think, that canning cracking was a very positive experience in being able to prove how useful it can be. Um, for my community to find a way forward through the arts. Because we had a civil war, there is 
a kind of division in Sri Lanka and our diaspora. Um, lots of different truths around what happened in the war, why it happened and so on. And um, the stage is a space to gather all those truths and have them side by side and bring the majority of my community around a story that um, some people might not agree with everything in it, but um, they listen to the things that they don't necessarily agree with or that they don't know about are different for them. And without that process, there is no way forward for us. Um, it's not possible to do that unless people broadly think, agree that everything in it is true and unbiased. And um, So every little detail in both the Canyon Cracking and Jungle and Sea is... Is, is true, you know, it's something that's happened to someone, but their overall works of fiction, they're kind of epic mosaics of little details of real life. Um, and so, yeah, so always at the forefront of my mind and the most important consideration for me in the writing and um, getting all of that right because getting it wrong can cause more damage. Um, but it's a wonderful responsibility. I remember with um, Canning Cracking, my great aunt, came to me at one of the shows and had her arms full of um, uh, the script, the published script. And I was like, why did you buy so many copies of the script? And she said, um, um, I've bought them for my grandchildren so they can know our history. You know, and so, uh, you know, that responsibility, I don't take it lightly, but it's, um, it feels good because I don't think anything else in the world can do it. It's something that a story can do, kind of tie incredibly complex things together to represent real life in a somehow truer way than, than actual life. Because while we're living it, we can't really take it in as deeply as we can when we see a reflection of it. Um, so it feels like something we can contribute as artists, you know, to, the, to our communities and to yeah. the world. And, and, and so beautifully done. And I think because it is a civil war, the complexity of the no rules, basically, that people are living inside of, and that's what you're saying, you're kind of living inside it and you can't really see it until... And then it's only your perspective. But inside of that is also there's this... It's 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 so wonderfully realised. I was going to say it's so funny too and it's so enjoyable and warming. But talk about the direction. It's just such a simple yet wonderfully evocative set because what is portrayed is this journey, basically, of your mother and, and children going in search of the lost son and that journey visually i mean basically they're walking pretty much for the whole play right yeah, they, um those poor actors they're an incredible ensemble some of the finest actors from here in south asia really in one room it's an amazing opportunity to see them all in one place um yeah they did a lot of steps during rehearsals <laughs> <laughs> the show's on a revolve it's a stage that turns Towards the end of the Civil War in Sri Lanka, some fairly horrific events happened, which also the people who went through them and suffered under them, were, many of them were fairly heroic in the way they withstood it. And part of that story, to, to tell that story, part of that story involves showing a, a kind of long walk from one side of the country to the other, from, from the west to the east coast. And... That kind of thing is normally impossible in theatre. Eamon and I were doing a development on a revolve for a different project um, that, you know, that was just kind of an experimentation, a couple of weeks. 
And during that, I kind of um, started to realize to myself that, that this thing could, this revolve could actually be a way to tell the final stages of that war and um, show a long walk. Um, and there's a character in the Mahabharata called Gandhari who um, um, marries a blind man and she didn't know that he was blind before she, was, she married him and she ties a blindfold around her own eyes. Um, and later on, there's a, there's a great war in the Mahabharata, a kind of epic war, and um, the, in that ancient text, the way that the war is told to Gandhari is through um, her kind of right-hand man narrates the events to her. And she's granted this kind of divine vision where she sees what he narrates. Um, and so when I realized that, because um, I wanted to, everyone knows that wars are violent and I didn't see any benefit in portraying violence on stage, but um, one needs to move through the war to talk about what it does to people. And so um, when I realized that we could kind of be inspired by the Mahabharata to, um, uh, to relate the events of the war without showing them, um, and for reasons where you'd have to come to the show to see it, the mother wears a blindfold for a big part of it, um, combined with the use of the revolve, that was kind of when I went, oh, okay, here's a way to make the jungle and the sea happen. Here's, here's what this story could be. And um, the actors do everything on that revolve. I mean, the set is basically the revolve and, these, and the walls and um, very much on purpose that the actors create the world of the show on a turning stage. And um, uh, the more we did it, the more Freeman and I, that the revolve became a kind of force of Face, fate or death, um, fate or destiny or history and all the things in the world that are kind of giant and work upon us and then the actors are kind of humanity trying to find choice or agency against that and I think like, it kind of the staging kind of strikes very deeply at what the heart of the play is about in that regard. Mm. And I was going to ask you about the blindfold but you've just answered that is really mystical. Talk about the music. Did you compose the music yourself or did you work how did you work no no the music was composed by Arjunan who's a a longtime friend of mine and uh, a lawyer by day <laughs> um but a um incredibly talented singer and Murlingamist. Murlingam is a traditional South Indian uh, percussion instrument uh the Venus played by Hindu um who is just a fantastic Vena player which is a kind of large stringed instrument played on the lap um, it's Carnatic music, which is the traditional music of South India, and what we also play as Tamils in North Sri Lanka. And um, Carnatic music is very interesting structurally because it's improvised. Um, so all the music in the show is improvised, oh. but um, there are ragas, which are kind of scales, um, which, in a very sophisticated way, have been codified to represent various emotional states, times of day, locations. And so there's this kind of system of a relationship between music and the world that exists in traditional South Indian aesthetics. And um, Arjun and I worked really closely together to kind of look at how that would apply to the jungle and the sea. Um, and so they have these kind of set frameworks for improvisation for each part of the show, but the, almost the entire show has live music with it. And they're extraordinary musicians. Mm. Um, and so that's really aesthetically delightful and quite beautiful and captivating. But also 
there's a poem we reference in the show, which is a kind of ancient Tamil poem. And it's sung in Tamil, so unless you're Tamil, you wouldn't know what it is. But it doesn't matter. It's it's a very captivating piece, melodically. But we reference it a few times in the show. And um, essentially that poem is about how one can always rely on one's community and connection to land and their culture and their cultural art forms and their language um, when, 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 when the worst of their life is happening and when everything is falling down around them. And a kind of, as a treatise to surviving loss, um, it's a very famous old poem and, um, and, and that's also referenced throughout the show as well. And so this kind of, um, having this Carnatic music for me is a way of, and, the, and, and my mother's dance in it is a way of kind of, you know, the Tamil Sri Lankans have been through so much and the ones who live in the north of Sri Lanka have kind of survived unimaginable loss or not survived it. And um, we, one of the ways we get through that, I think, as a community is holding on to our culture and our language. And um, so it was really important to have that in the show too. It's incredible really to think that that's all just improvised and wonderfully beautifully done and this must have been a long process for you I mean you've got so much in there all of these stories these other layers and levels to it how did you manage to put that all together in this weaving the story is there some process I mean you mentioned the blindfold and that story was kind of a, a, a turning point for you in a way but how did you take all of this and put it into the work? How long has it taken you, let's say? <laughs> I mean, The Jungle of the Sea happened relatively quickly. Um, it was going to be on in 2020 and then um, got delayed because of the pandemic. When we finished Counting Cracking, Eamon and I wanted to make sure that Counting Cracking wasn't the, um, the end of the line, that it was a kind of proof mm-hmm. of concept for something that, that could be the beginning of something new. So Jungle in the Sea has happened relatively quickly. I mean, it kind of had a could have happened within a year and it ended up happening within three years, which is for an epic piece like that is really short. But the reason that's possible is because of the kind of seismic change afforded by County and Cracking. I mean, I think County and Cracking was an infrastructure project. It was, you know, the research I did for that, I really, I didn't know it at the time, but I've done enough research for like 10 projects through the research for that. That was kind of 10 years of research and writing and it took four years to cast and we auditioned hundreds of people and you know around the world and the only reason Jungle on the Sea was able to be cast was because we already knew the cast from the auditions for Canyon Cracking and of course Canyon Cracking was a story that the majority of the industry didn't believe in and didn't think was part of what the Australian arts should be and you know we really had to battle so hard to make that show happen with just a few key supporters you know kind of Belvoir and Wesley Enoch at Sydney Festival and Rachel and Neil at Adelaide Festival. And um, because of its success, I didn't have to spend another six years trying to show that a Sri Lankan Australian story was worthy of the main stage and that other audiences would embrace it. And so, and also the Sri Lankan community, so many of them never been to the theatre before counting and cracking and never saw any use in the arts in that sense. Obviously, they did in their traditional art forms. But as a f- method for healing and discussion, counting and cracking really proved that for them, so they were eager to come to the next show. So the only reason Jungle Sea was able to happen in such an efficient manner is because all of the hard work was done through counting and cracking, and it's a really beautiful um, 
way to show how systemic change happens because the first step is so, so difficult and often takes years, if not a decade or more. But if you can break through with the first step, then this seemingly impossible and what people thought was impossible beforehand can become closer to business as usual, which is such a huge change. And so mm. that's why Jungle Sea has been more possible. Mm. I asked you what it was like for your mom to see Counting and Cracking, but for you growing up, did you have a sense of what the history was? Like how how was that for you to find out this history for yourself? Did, like if, if she's just revealed it only quite recently, really, in terms of your life, how was that kind of evolving and, and going against her wishes to go there and those sort of challenges? What was it like? I had a need for it. You know, I kind of, I think a lot of, kids of migrants go through this um second generations they hit their late 20s and they're kind of you can only assimilate for so long (laughs) really before you lose yourself (laughs) and i think to properly know yourself and you know your place as you become more of an adult you really need to know your, your your family's past so i had a need and that need drove me to to do to do all of that research against her wishes and when it started, when I started to learn more from various other members of my family or just talking to everyday Sri Lankans, there was a process by which it was utterly overwhelming, you know. It was like a, we'd gone from a desert to a, a flood. And um, I just had to sit in the water, <laughs> you know. That, that was kind of the process for five or six years, just absorb and listen <clears throat> and really delay trying to make decisions or processes around it, just listening, listening, listening. And um, I have a much deeper sense of who I am now, of course, but I think I feel like the the greatest gift it's given me is um, I feel like I've made a contribution to my community and the there's a sense of purpose, I think, that has come from it, which I didn't realize what happened that's been the greatest gift like I went into it wanting to learn more but actually it's given me a wonderful sense of purpose and achievement and um if I got hit by a bus tomorrow and I was in the hospital I'd, I'd I think I'd feel a lot better about dying than <laughs> I would 10 years ago um <laughs> and um now it becomes it's shifting into a new stage where it's kind of like I think because County Cracking was so successful, I think there's a certain level of criticism that's going to come at me for this project and future projects that wouldn't have been there before and a certain kind of awareness about things that wouldn't have been there before. But um, So I'm kind of coming to terms with that slowly and still very grateful for the, the, the privilege of being able to contribute to my community and kind of... It's interesting, like, yeah, I'm in the beginning of a new stage now, I think, where it's kind of like, what do you do with something that went really well and how do you take the next steps to make sure that you are still contributing? What kind of criticism? What do you mean by that? I think it happens to anyone who, um, when no one expects anything of you and then they're surprised, that's a completely different relationship to people coming in with... um, exceedingly high standards and ready to <laughs> pull you down <laughs> say what yeah pull you down yeah normal i think <laughs> <laughs> i 
I think it's absolutely wonderful and I'll put you back up there. (laughs) Shakti, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks. Great to be here. Is there going to be a film? Not of these two shows, but I do have a film in development, yeah. My next project, hopefully, and that's a Sri Lankan Australian story too. Looks a little bit at the post-war life of Sri Lanka and how the people in the north of Sri Lanka have rebuilt their lives after the war. Well, that was S. Shakti Deharan, the writer and director of The Jungle and the Sea. And The Jungle and the Sea is on until the 18th of December. I really recommend getting along. 